welcome to All the Best Craft Banter. Today we're going to be speaking with Karen Flett, the National Sales Manager from Canada Malting, as well as Matt Hamill and Morgan Rattray from Red Shed Malting. A good insight into what 2022 might have in store for all of the Alberta craft beer manufacturers and a little bit of planning for you guys to think about. So stay tuned for more from them. First question. Obviously, um, Canada Malt and Redfin Malting operate on uh, very different scales, but how are each of you approaching the challenges for or from the 2021 crop year? Matt, I guess I can take this one first. Um, with Canada Malting, obviously, uh, scale is, is good and bad when you have um, a crop failure like this year. You know, we're exposed to a lot more acreage across Canada. Um, but also means that we have a much larger sales portfolio that we have to execute on. So outside of Alberta, you know, we have customers around the globe and North America um, heavily. And so we can pull in barley from the U.S., from Canada. But when you have a, a, an issue this large across North America for barley production, um, it means that we're we're exposed at a much higher level relative to the total acreage we need. So, you know, it means we have to start looking at imported barley or uh, malt uh, or U.S. barley or, or any of those avenues to help um, fulfill and make sure all of our customers are are looked after for the entire year. And from Richard's side, yeah, so we're we're quite fortunate, um, kind of with our our small size, um, and and with the weather that we received um, this year. So although it was uh, a drier year on the farm, there was enough uh, subsurface moisture um, that the crops came through okay. And weren't stressed too bad, and so we're we're quite happy with um, the the specs that we have on it. We don't expect to see a, a change in quality uh, on our malt at all. Um, so, so the biggest difference that we're seeing is we're kind of getting some um, requests from some new customers that we haven't seen in the past to kind of save some some brew days, and people are getting more creative using our malts uh, to substitute into their recipes. It's been an interesting year for sure, but we're we're coming through pretty good. Well, that's great. And Karen, just to kind of follow up, you had mentioned possibly bringing in barley from other places, other countries. Is that a pretty big scale that that's going to have to happen, or and where would that be coming from? Yeah, when you when you start talking about uh, imports, typically the smallest you can look at is fifteen thousand metric tons, but typically most vessels are around 30,000, 25 to 30,000 metric tons. So the scale is, is phenomenally large. From the U.S., you can look at smaller, you know, rail cars or shuttle um, trains of, of grain. Uh, but again, that was also a very challenged geography uh, for barley. So um, there's kind of two main regions that um, usually typically one region that supplied Canada in the past, which is Europe, um, specifically the U.K. and Denmark. This year, what we're hearing and what we're seeing is uh, Australian barley is also landing in North America, as well as Argentina barley. So um, we're seeing three continents um, supplying barley to North America for the first time ever. It'll be interesting to see how that might change what some of Alberta's brewers are doing. In light of all of this, what are some common adjustments that maltsters do when faced with challenging crops and how does that affect brewers? I guess the crop in Canada was challenged in two ways. One, obviously just overall heat stress and drought, but the even worse at the very end was that we got rain after no rain and 
Um, that causes pre-harvest sprouting or chitting, uh, as we like to call it. And so the grain actually starts to grow um, prior to even it arriving in our elevator or in the malt house. And um, so first off, you try to use that product right away. Uh, you try to bring in all the barley that your farmers have that is already starting to germinate. And you do that to avoid the, that grain from dying. Um, you don't want that to all go to waste or your farmers not to be able to, to use that grain for malt. So that's the biggest challenge at the beginning is you, you know, you have elevated uh, chitting levels and that grain all malts differently. And in, for maltsters, it's a really tough um, effort to not uh, have huge beta glucan numbers or, or spikes and other quality parameters that, that brewers don't like. Um, and then secondly, as you start to go forward, you know, it's a huge uh, increase in protein levels. And so, you know, you try to keep some of the, um, you know, the extract and, and some of the other uh, indices that brewers use as close as you can to the previous year. But, but in general, you know, you're going to see some, some large um, changes from, from year to year. And so, you know, uh, it affects brewers, obviously, in, in what they're going to see in their brew house performance um, year to year. And Redhead side. Yeah. So um, as far as the crop goes, um, regardless if the barley is a great year or a not so great year, every time we start malting, we're doing a lab test to figure out the specifics on that barley. And then um, it's kind of interesting in malting, there's no set it and forget it. Every batch is unique and different. So every batch is slightly altered to uh, make sure that it comes out the best that it can be at the end. So in this particular year, we know protein is high. Um, and because of that, we also know that the precursor to DMS will also be high. Those two are directly related. So on our end, we're doing everything we can to make sure that the lowest threshold of DMS is going through um, so that brewers on their end have uh, the ability to still control some of that. But um, we're trying to make sure that anything that we can help with whoever is going to be using the malt, we can do to kind of get in there. And I suppose just to add on to that, one way that we're the same as kind of Canada malt and the other maltsters out there is we're always trying to select as consistent uh, barley as possible going into the batch. Um, so if the grain's the same going in, it's it's going to perform uh, more uniformly throughout the process. Uh, so plump kernels, similar protein bands, further to what Morgan was saying, we're selecting the, some of the lower protein stuff to avoid some of the issues um, that you had mentioned that. That's great. So it sounds like you guys kind of covered a lot of what my next question actually is. So expectations for breweries going into next year um, in access to malt, quality of malt, you kind of covered that in, this, in your testing procedures. Um, but what are we, what should we be looking at? What should our expectations be as far as access and quality and ultimately the cost of malt be? Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess from our perspective, our first and foremost uh, expectation for the year is to make sure we supply all of the customers that we have been supplying, customers we have contracts with, customers that we um, have supplied for the past year, two years, three years. Um, so, you know, access to malt is, is interesting because, you know, we're seeing a tightness across North America. And that means, as Matt said, you have new customers or customers you haven't supplied coming and asking you for, for supply. But obviously, in, in a market like this, your first and foremost is to supply the customers that you already have. 
Um, second, cost. You know, obviously, we've seen almost a doubling in in the the on farm price of barley, um, probably close to, to you know almost a hundred percent increase. And so that doesn't always directly translate um, to the to the brewer, but uh, as they've seen, you know, the bag price, the tow price, even the bulk price of malt in Alberta and in Canada and in the U.S. has, has gone up drastically and. That's that's without a doubt across the board for all maltsters and, and for all brewers. So um, that's a challenging situation and, and obviously one that doesn't probably correct itself within a 12-month period. Uh, as far as quality, you know, again, we go back to, you know, you're going to have on inbound much higher protein, likely slightly thinner um, and, and some other quality parameters. So the quality, um, again, on the malting side, we'll work as hard as we can and, and you know, we'll still produce a good malt that can be used in the brew house, but there just will be some some um, stresses on the parameters that brewers are typically used to. And Richard, yeah, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, yeah, malt malt houses will do everything that we can do to try to support. Um, as far as breweries are going, we're getting a lot more questions about specs, so we're making sure. Um, you know, we we do as much as possible. I feel like on the brewing end, they're going to want to be looking at a spec sheet almost for every batch that they're getting in to try to adjust to make sure they're covering it, uh, especially with we know protein will be high. Um, we'll want to be making sure that uh, uh, everything goes as smoothly as possible. So um, I, I think it's paramount that everyone is specifically looking at each batch coming in. Um, and then I'll let Matt answer the, the cost of malt. Yeah, so we do have some good news on that front. Um, because we're so closely related to Hamill Farms um, and we're sourcing our barley there, um, we have no planned cost increases um, on our products at this time. Um, we are starting to see some, some freight costs go up a little bit and we're having trouble um, in, in some occasions, even getting quotes uh, to try to get uh, malt west to some of the BC breweries, but we're we got some some freight suppliers that we're pretty comfortable with in Alberta here. So it's we got good costs on the malt and still seem to have pretty good costs on the freight as well. Oh, that's great to hear. But I think yeah, given the state of the world and just with cost increases, pretty much on most consumer products, we have to expect that it's a reality going forward that it, it could happen. So no, appreciate that you, you guys are able to keep your costs stable, but totally understand when anyone has to make that decision to raise their their prices as well. Um, so I'm curious, and sorry, I'm deviating a little bit from the questions that I sent you prior. Um, just something that you had said, Morgan, and as a non-brewer, um, just kind of curious then with the changes that come with the malt that uh, brewers will be seeing, how much will that change their process? I guess, like if there is a staple beer that they've been making, um, is it likely that they would have just gone straight to making an entire um, run of that beer, or would they generally go back to their test systems? And I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot and you don't know this either, but um, just kind of curious about how that process ends up happening in the brewery. Yeah, uh, I feel like it'll be different for each brewer, just like each process that they go through is kind of unique to their um, brands and what they've been trained to do. So I feel like um, my concern here is that if you take 
malt coming in and you don't look at the specs and you try to brew the same way that you were brewing with higher protein, potentially we'll be seeing more DMS. So an off flavor at the end in the finished product. Um, and that's because they're directly related. I mean, potentially we'll also see anything from the yeast fermenting too quickly to the yeast fermenting not fast enough. Um, if they try to cover by adding more malt, which would feasibly give them more enzymes, depending on the malts they're using, this is kind of a broad general idea, then their beer at the end still won't be the same. And I feel like consistency, especially in flagships, is what everyone is trying to get to. They want it to taste the same can to can from batch to batch. So that's why I say this will be this will be unique to each place, but it'll be something big I think they need to be looking at. And maybe that means they test the malts on a smaller pilot system if they have one. I know not everyone has access to that. Maybe that means they're asking for the specs and using brewing software that might help them adjust or make small changes so that their batch turns out the way that they're looking for at the end. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I have a clear answer for you, um, but totally important to be looking at what's going into the beer and making sure that it's going to be what they want at the end. Mm. No, I appreciate that. As a non-brewer, just to kind of understand what, how this starts, you know, from your raw, raw ingredients to what it actually affects in your processes, I think understanding that makes a huge difference on the consumer end or just people who have an interest in uh, brewing. So I appreciate that. Um, and I think you've kind of led into my next question. So for brewers that aren't adept at reading malt COAs, what are the numbers that they should be paying attention to and thinking of, you know, malt craft brewers? Yeah, I can jump in on that one first. Um, so the Brewers Association, uh, a few years ago, they put out a white paper on what to look for in barley varieties and how some of the different specs on malt impact uh, the brewing process and the finished product. Um, and that's a great place to start. So it's it's not exactly what we're looking for, but it's uh, it's going to really lead you down the the right path. Um, so one of the ones that we've been touching on quite a bit has uh, been protein levels and how that impacts things. Um, and so that's a pretty easy one that that stands out uh, on that certificate analysis. And then just checking the enzymes, the color, um, just to make sure that you you are getting that consistency, you are able to adjust that recipe as needed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this is just a it's a it's a good year for brewers who don't have the practice of, you know, being very adept at at looking at the COA information, batch to batch or delivery to, to delivery. Um, and obviously, you know, I think it would have been really great for brewers to have looked at what COAs were for old crop and then that transition into new crop uh, barley and what that looked like, what the differences were. And then what the differences continue to be, and, and they can make easier adjustments on their mill settings or their brew house from there. You know, I just think um, if they don't understand which parameters are, are the most important, you know, talking to other brewers, talking to the maltsters, talking to their suppliers is very important about what key parameters to look for, um, you know, extract, fan, uh, protein, um, and especially if they're thinking about, as you said, uh, as, as Rich had indicated, you know, if they want to add more malt, if they, they want to uh, look at alternatives, uh, adding European malt or adding other adjuncts, um, then that can that can be really important in terms of uh, 
what they're seeing on the analysis. Follow-up question to that. Um, if they don't have the COAs from previous years or previous batches, would they be able to come back to you guys and ask for those so that they could maybe make those comparisons? Yeah. So for us, um, any of the, within the last year, any of their, as long as they have the information relative to the bag malt delivery, then they would be able to, to actually um, go on the uh, country mall website and, and look at the, the COA data. On every red shed bag, if you're curious and you do want to know the specs, uh, in the bottom right corner of the bag, uh, we actually have a traceability uh, tag. And that tells you the field that it was grown in and also the batch number. At any point, if you reach out to us with that batch number, I can give you all of the details on it. Now, for folks that maybe have purchased malt from us and it's already gone out, um, I can do some deep digging and figure out what batch we sent you and kind of go from there um, so that if they do want a certificate to see what their barley looked like three years ago compared with now, um, we can essentially do some magic behind the scenes. Uh, the magic is me in a spreadsheet, but we'll, we'll make it work and we can definitely get that information to them um, if they do want it. And then, of course, all information is available for our current varieties, too. We store everything in a very large Google Drive. So. We're here if you have questions. Obviously, our conversation has focused mostly on barley. Uh, that's kind of the biggest story that's been out there lately. But do you guys see any other grains that uh, we should be either concerned about or at least keeping an eye on and thinking about? Uh, um, you know, from our perspective, um, we use a lot of wheat, we use a lot of oats, and we use a lot of rye. Um, but the relative scale of those compared to barley, you know, we're, we're probably... 90% barley and 10% and the other grains or somewhere around there. And so we're very concerned always about the quality, um, you know, like oats, for example, this year is obviously very challenged as well. Um, uh, and both from a quality perspective, but also just from a, um, an appearance perspective. And so, um, you know, oats is one that we're, we're concerned about, but um, overall relative production to what we use um, across North America is, is less of a concern than the barley. Um, also, you know, some of these other crops uh, may come off earlier or later and, and provide some opportunity there. So barley is really the biggest concern, especially when it comes to malt barley meeting grade uh, and having the germination capacity and the protein levels that you're looking for to, to give the brewers what they need to make great beer. I, I certainly think barley is probably the, the hardest hit crop, crop here. Um, I've gone on record before saying that Alberta is the best place in the world to grow barley. And I'll, I'll kind of stand by that. We grow half of the, the barley, um, that's grown in Canada. Um, probably a third of the barley that's grown in North America, but 2021 was certainly a challenging year to be growing that barley. And, uh, the drought was, um, pretty intense in a lot of regions in our province. Um, so that's one that we're, we are seeing some real challenges on. Um, there's, we'll be able to find, um, wheat and, and oats from other, other regions that had some good conditions throughout the year. And the next question is mostly for Canada malt. Um, are you expecting to be malting varieties of barley that are new to you or your process? Mm -hmm. I think this is actually a good question for both and, uh, Matt can talk to it after, but both, uh, all malting companies and, and, uh, the whole barley industry are continually bringing new malting variety, barley varieties to the forefront. Um, that may have better disease resistance, they may have better yield, they may have brewing that we like. And so 
we really promote trying all of these. So on a year to year basis, we're trying new varieties continually. We're supporting the development of those varieties from the seed structure. Um, we're supporting analysis data back to the growers and back to the industry as a whole. Um, and we really want to promote that um, both from an industry perspective, from our customer side, but really also from our farmer side, make sure they're protected uh, when they want to grow a, a malt barley variety that it's, it's um, up to date and it's, it's giving them the best results that they can see in regards to getting accepted and having a good yield that provides, you know, performance and relative to giving um, revenue back to the farms. So, yeah, and definitely, obviously, Matt and Morgan, feel free to answer that. So for new varieties, uh, it takes about 10 years to develop, uh, to fully test, propagate, and then be able to um, get that seed for us to grow. So it's quite a lengthy process. And so I was just at Malt Academy in Winnipeg at the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center. And uh, to see the difference, Canada has had two primary barley varieties for 25 plus years. And that's Metland and Cop <laughs> Copeland and Metcalf, trying to combine them together. Uh, Australia, um, just as a different example, changes primary var barley varieties every two to three years. So it feels like supporting new barley varieties, getting the best agronomics that make the farm team happy, that's something that everyone should be working towards, at least on the malt side. I mean, I know brewers are focused on the product they're producing. So we kind of take that into our hands. And between folks like Canada Malting and uh, the small craft maltsters working to get new barley varieties that have um, the best specs at the end of the day, I think that's something we can all work on the same team to get towards. Yeah, the new barley varieties are super exciting. Um, some of the new varieties are very much designed um, for all grain brewing. Um, and and just have better specs across the board uh, for not, when you're not using adjuncts. And we got some varieties that perform better in dry conditions like we've had in 2021. Um, and also varieties that perform better in wet conditions where uh, fusarium head blight's more of an issue. I think that kind of leads into the next question as well then. So, and obviously, despite my notes, Karen, feel free to answer this as well. So does the 2021 crop have significant influence on what you will see in the spring and knowing that there are different varieties that maybe you want to see be more prevalent in Alberta? Yeah, so it's um, what we seeded the year before is always going to influence what we see the next year. So we, we do strive to have a very uh, sustainable crop rotation. Um, so keeping barley off uh, the same field that it was grown on the year before and canola off the year the field that was grown the year before. And that helps us uh, use inputs more efficiently and, and keep uh, disease pressure down. Um, but it's, it, we're, we're always doing some, some trial runs on some of these new varieties. So we grew some Churchill this year and we were really happy with how that performed. Um, so we'll be seeding some more of that. Uh, we've grown low and it was a really good year for low and, and for Connect. And so a lot of these varieties have really kind of proven themselves to be capable of growing in, in tough conditions. And, and so that, you know, Redshed's always kind of been trying to push some of the new varieties and stuff, but it's uh, this year really showed that it's, it's the right path to be going down. Just to add on to Matt's comment there, um, I'm from the city. So farming is new to me and the in-depth malting process is uh, something I am on a huge learning curve for. So 
for me, what I find fascinating is that the varieties of barley that work best at Redshed and at Hamill Farms might not be the best for someone that's uh, 30 kilometers down the road from us or someone that's um, near Edmonton or even someone that's in Saskatchewan or Manitoba based on weather, based on the soil that you're growing in. Like I think new barley varieties will help, but it's so specific to all of the information that you have. It's not as easy as saying, oh, well, uh, they can grow that barley variety. So it'll be great in our farm as well. So it's it's so unique and interesting and different. Hopefully that gives people a new appreciation for what the final product, whether it is beer or something else, like really appreciating what it takes to grow the products that go into it. Uh, sorry, uh, Karen, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think just um, they were talking specifically about barley varieties, but I think just when we look into next crop year, you know, barley is an opportunity here to, to have some huge gains in acreage. And um, obviously time will tell related to seed uh, availability, related to costs of, of other commodities such as canola, related to how much uh, moisture we get in the spring or if we have early planting. So all those are going to dictate, but the way the pricing is today is, um, you know, you probably should see a, an increase in barley acres, which, you know, for our industry, again, when you have challenged year after challenged year and getting enough stock for, for everyone that wants Canadian uh, malting barley, that's positive. And, and we hope to see, you know, those acres continue to stabilize and, and grow. And I think for everyone, that's uh, that's a win. And, and we'd love to see more and more malt acres going in Alberta. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, years like this help promote that. And, you know, the new varieties are, are a great way to get there. And um, hopefully we see um, a huge increase in plantings next year. I know I was talking to uh, the Beet Farmers Association. She was letting me know about how some of the beet farmers could actually every several years, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but that they could actually do some barley and lend themselves to the, the brewing side of things as well. So it'd, it'd be interesting to see if that, uh, that plays out and how it, how it affects the uh, availability going forward. How big does a brewery have to be to contract-based malt? And is there an option for small breweries to mitigate some of the uncertainty? You know, I think that there's there's ways um, for small and large breweries to to try and help mitigate that. And I would just encourage, you know, any brewer to talk to their supplier, whether that's uh, us or, or someone else, and talk about what uh, what type of long-term contracts or just pricing ideas there are. And obviously, we're in a very volatile market here, you know, in a market that's seeing all commodities increase in price and freight, uh, you know, jump through the roof. and gas prices go higher. And so, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but um, we're always willing to, to talk to a customer about opportunities to, to try and mitigate some of that. And, and uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a market like this, it may be harder, but um, we're always willing to discuss that with, uh, with any brewer. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you for your time. I know you got to go. Um, Matt and Morgan, if you can stay on. So thanks for sticking around, guys. I'll put that question to you. Um, if there is a certain level that a brewery has to be at to contract with you guys, or if there are options that you guys have for them to mitigate some of that uncertainty? Our focus is really um, on the specialty malts. Um, and so we don't have many people who have been too interested in, in contracting. Um, and, and we haven't had to turn anyone away yet. Um, so it's, it, it's not really an issue that we're, we're dealing with on our end. 
and maybe you guys could explain that for people who either don't know, or maybe they're just getting into brewing, um, even for home brewers, I guess. Um, how do you guys differ from the larger companies like Canada Malting? Yeah, so to, to start there is probably a good uh, to explain the difference between base malt and specialty malt. Um, so base malt, a real rough rule of thumb might be 80% of the grain that goes into a beer, and it's providing um, the sugars that get fermented in, into alcohol. Uh, whereas the specialty malts, um, we're processing those a little bit different. Um, we have a, a malt roaster, for example, um, and just applying different time and temperature to uh, those grains, we can start getting different flavors like breakfast cereal or home baking or uh, nutty flavors, chocolate flavors, coffee flavors. So that's that's one of the big differences um, with Red Shed. Just to add on to that, for a brewer, they want the sugar to be in small chunks. Um, yeast are kind of like children. They can't eat a large meal. So part of what we're doing, and specifically with base malt, why it's 80% roughly of uh, grain bill, um, is that it, it contributes enzyme, enzymes. So we're looking at that enzymatic activity to make sure. And the reason we want enzymes is because enzymes take really long, complex chains of sugar there's a whole series of them and they break it down into smaller and smaller chunks. So enzymes kind of work in a certain order, alpha, beta, and there's a whole slew of other ones. And what they're doing is alpha will break it into um, six chunks and then beta will come in and break it into two chunks. And yeast needs it to be as small as possible to eat. So enzymes are a huge part of what we're doing. In base malt, we're protecting those enzymes and in roasting, the enzymes do actually die off. So we're trying to strike the perfect balance of um, enzymes and also of flavors and of the specs that are end up in, or and will end up in uh, the actual grain bill. I feel like all of this connects to so many other conversations I've had, but I don't think I'm eloquent enough to connect all of it. Um, so this is really interesting. And I think for a lot of people understanding, you know, how complex the brewing process actually is just through this one specific piece of it. I, I think that's really interesting. And hopefully a lot of listeners will be taking a, away a new appreciation for their final product. So I have a, a question that we got off of Instagram from a boy in his beer and this may be very specific. I don't know if glyphosate is necessary to produce high quality barley malt. Um, so glyphosate is an important tool on the farms and it helps reduce the number of uh, passes that a farmer has to do on a field in one year. Um, glyphosate's other name is Roundup. Um, so it's, it is something that uh, has its place on the farm, um, but it, it is not used in barley. Um, and certainly not used in malt. So nope, glyphosate is not necessary to produce high quality barley malt. Um, and it is actually um, tested for to make sure that there is no glyphosate whatsoever on malt. And that's, that's Red Shed, that's Canada Malt, that's everyone across the board, no glyphosate. Good to know. Glad that there was a very specific answer to that question because I wasn't sure. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah. So is there anything else you guys want to share maybe about your year ahead or anything exciting that you guys are working on? Thank you. Happy to help. And they pay <laughs> me to do this, to support breweries and distilleries and make sure they have the right information. So I'm here and I'll let Matt speak to exciting things coming soon. Um, 
yeah, it's we're we're just uh, happy to be taking on new customers. Um, we're we're pretty happy with uh, the barley crop that we got and confident in our ability to turn it into fantastic malt. And um, we're looking forward to being in more Alberta beers and supporting our customers, making sure they don't miss brew days. Perfect. I think every listener is happy to hear that that is the ultimate goal. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah, we'll keep beer on shelves or do our part anyways. Woohoo. Yeah. I really just wanted to touch base on everything that we've been working on for the last year. Um, for those who weren't able to join us at the AGM, there was a lot of really great information that we shared and kind of a retrospective of 2021, if you will, but just really high level kind of things that we worked on. And if you have more questions, obviously feel free to reach out to us. But uh, we worked with AGLC on remittance markup, uh, destruction, policy changes, product registration information as well. So a lot of really great work with AGLC and solidifying that relationship and being where they come to when they want to know what the industry is thinking. So as you have things come up, don't forget to talk to us. We've participated in roundtable discussions with ministers, the premier um, at the national level, as well with MPs. Uh, We sit on committees for several of the municipalities, uh, as well as bringing together a stakeholder group of 12 different associations and organizations um, to ensure that the policies around COVID and your supports for you guys and recovery efforts were all put together and the most beneficial they could be for you guys. Um, We've been working with CFIA on the beer definition, labeling requirements, traceability as well, and working with stakeholders to understand place and importance of Alberta craft beer in arenas, festivals, at events. So a couple of very specific things that we did, we brought in the MNP benchmarking this year for members. So if you didn't take part in that this year, please remember to do that next year. Uh, the data that we get from it at the end not only helps us in our advocacy efforts, but it will help you in knowing where your efficiencies are or where you might need to be more efficient. So we're going to streamline that for next year, make it a little easier to complete. But you know, for those who did complete the full version this year, there's a lot of great data coming your way. We also worked with AGLC on working, allowing for seating in production areas, uh, easier patio approvals and expansions, as obviously we needed to do that this year, Uh, selling keg product with growlers free or at cost from restaurants, so lessening the need to destroy products when those closures did happen. We worked with AGLC to not completely delete the inducements and prohibited relationships policies and sat on a roundtable to provide ideas on how those policies could be modernized and simplified. Uh, We've also worked with AGLC on the remittance model and payment process. So those changes have been coming into effect the last couple of months. So a lot of good work there with us in AGLC and definitely benefits to the industry. We've put a lot of effort into our diversity and inclusivity strategies, both at the provincial level and at the national level. We did a benchmarking survey. Uh, The data for that is coming out soon as well. So we kind of know where we stand and where we need to put in resources and efforts to ensure that our, our industry represents the people who are in it. 
So a lot of really great ideas out there. So if you want to get some more ideas, um, there's a few a few breweries that you can look at who have done a lot of work and gone a long way in making efforts to make their spaces safe and, you know, diversify their hiring process. So a lot of exciting things that we've been, we've been working on. So for the association specifically, we've established five committees this year, uh, including members at large. So a really great way if you want to get more involved in the association and figure out the direction and the voice of the association, those committees are an excellent way to be more involved and to understand what the priorities for the association are. Uh, And this podcast is something that we've brought to you guys, given that our conference had to be rescheduled for the last two years. We really wanted an educational piece that you could listen while you work. So hopefully that is something that you guys have been doing. Another fun thing and one of the very important things that our committees do and did this year, the PacTech Recycling Program. So this is the first of its kind in the world. We came up with a system and huge shout out to Kirk at Blindman and Andrew at Annex. Their motivation really brought this to life. So if you have more questions about that, if you want to get involved, if you want to be a part of the recycling program, just reach out to ASBO. We're happy to send you information and get you all set up. Really simple though, just encourage people to bring it back, have the bin in your tap room or your even your retail store. Um, and then we will at some point ask you to bring it to the collection site, which will be collected and shipped out to BC. Super simple process, but it ensures that these, these PacTech pieces don't end up in landfills and they actually get reused. They are recycled f- to begin with, and then we recycle them again if they can't be reused. So if you have more, more questions about that, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, as an association, I've worked with the University of Calgary. We developed the DNI survey with students in an MBA program. We've also been working with a marketing class to help us figure out what's next and what we can do to, you know, ensure Alberta craft beer is what people think about when they go to the liquor store. Worked with Alberta on the plate this year. Continue to work with the Calgary Stampede. Looking forward to working with the new K Days. Um, We worked with the Alberta government of Alberta to provide an opportunity for export ready breweries to showcase in the U.S. Unfortunately, due to COVID, that didn't happen. But these are still partnerships that we're building for you guys to get your get your products beyond the borders. We release the Alberta Beer All the Best Augmented Reality app and the NFC tags that go along with it. So if you haven't downloaded that yet, please do. It's a great way to see a lot of the breweries in the province as well. You can check them off, a little passport feature for you there, and you can keep track of what you might have had there. So you know what you like, what you didn't like, uh, what you want to try again, what you might want to look for in the grocery store or in the liquor store next time you go. Uh, We also were able to start the Welcome Back program, which just launched in the last couple months here. So a program to let consumers and potential employees know that you guys are working really hard to ensure that you're in safe and healthy spaces, both physically and mentally. I know a lot of work has gone on behind the scenes in a lot of breweries to ensure the well-being of uh, their team members. And we wanted to celebrate that. So look for more with the Welcome Back program in the new year. And uh, hopefully you guys can join in on that. That's just a few of the things that we worked on. Obviously, there was a lot going on this year with just the general state of things. But, uh, you know, we never stopped having conversations and building these coalitions and working with stakeholders. And uh, hopefully you guys have seen that benefit, that value there. And we're looking forward to 2022, hopefully being a slightly closer to normal year. Hopefully we can get down to actually just enjoying craft beer. 
Thank you again to Karen, Matt, and Morgan. Really appreciate the conversation and your insights. Hopefully 2022 is a better growing season for everyone. Um, A lot of interesting information there. Hopefully everyone listening gets to take away a lot of uh, good, good ideas and future planning there. So yeah, stay tuned for our next episode in about a month.